25. Congratulations. Man, so we've got lots of birthdays this morning, and uh, we're glad. If you have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to, take Coloss- to turn to Colossians chapter number 1 and Ephesians chapter number 4. Now, we'll start in Ephesians, but we're going to hit Colossians near the end of the message. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, and maybe just put a, put a bookmark or something there, and then Ephesians chapter number 4. So let me ask you, how many of you love babies? When you see a baby, you have to like hold it and kiss it and all that kind of, kind of stuff. Yeah, right. I know there's some of you when you got seeing uh, Landon and, and uh, Jenny and, and Alex and Caleb, they're carrying their babies around and everybody wants to grab it. And uh, I don't, I mean, I like babies, but I'll be honest, I don't necessarily love babies for two reasons. Number one and number two. Babies do a lot of number one and number two. That's two reasons I don't really like babies. But uh, <laughs> I do love to uh, I do love to look at the baby's fingers. I don't know why that intrigues me so much. But I remember when my my sister uh, Judy she had her first child. My I was still living at home, and my parents we we traveled up to Michigan, and I, I'm I was a teenager, probably Matthew about your age, and sitting next to the bassinet uh, where where my niece Victoria was, I just I kept putting my finger up so she would grab it so I could just stare at her fingers. Like they look just like I know fully adult human fingers, but they're like so small and petite. I, I, I Jamie Jamie used to uh, when the kid when our kids uh, would sleep when they were little when they were asleep she would go in and she loved kissing their feet. Now Trinity like doesn't want anyone touching her feet. Uh, she's got a foot aversion. So, anyways, if you ever want to freak her out, just show her your toes, and uh, she doesn't like that. But she used to she used to hold the kids when they were little and kiss their feet. And I remember her saying this often: uh, "I don't want them to get any bigger. I just want them to I just want them to stay like this." And I would think to myself, although I was smart enough not to say it out loud, I would think to myself, "Why? Like they're useless." Like they, they just lay there. They don't do. I like to me. I was like, I don't want them to stay small. I I want my I want my kids to grow up, and so I can play ball with them and 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 teach them how to wrestle and do all kinds of stuff with them. I don't want them to stay small. And and no young parent ever wants to think about it. So forgive me for those of you who have young children. But you know, from the day your child is born, there is a countdown that is started. A countdown to where your child is going to one day live independently of mom and dad. And in many cases, we'll, in many cases, we'll have a child of their own, and, and the cycle starts all over again. And the difference being, for the most part, I know not in every case, but for the most part, the, the grandparents get to sit back and enjoy the kid and then send it home uh, with mom and dad later on, right? And, and yet there's this special, and, and I don't fully yet, yet understand it, but I, I can understand it from my brothers and sisters getting to watch their sons and daughters take on the role as mom and dad. How special that must be to, to moms and dads, which, which helps me understand what the Apostle John says in 3 John 1, 4, where he said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk, are walking in the truth. John had received news that, that some of his, not biological children, but some of his spiritual children, away from his oversight, were walking in the truth. He was finding great joy in the fact that his children were growing up. 
And today we're going to spend time talking about the spiritual growth that takes place in our lives after the new spiritual birth that we have experienced. So in Ephesians chapter number four, I'm going to read verse starting in verse number 11 together with you. And, and behind, if you're looking at the verses behind me, I've highlighted just a couple of words in the verses. If not, we'll, as you read through, uh, we'll try to pause and, and mention them. But Ephesians chapter four, beginning in verse number 11 the Bible says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now notice these words, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children and and as we read take take note the next couple words john or the next couple words the apostle paul says he's going to describe what children what spiritual children are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love from this passage we get there's an importance that the apostle paul is placing on the fact that we should not stay spiritual children but rather to grow up into mature manhood so that we as the body of christ are filled not just with a bunch of little children but rather with mature adults and now, if you're with us for the first time, or the first time in a long time, we're going through a series entitled The Biblical Church, and, and we're just basically looking at the Bible each week and, and comparing what the Word of God says about church to what we are. And, and, and it doesn't really do us any good to see what Jesus Christ says about the church if we're also not willing to ask ourselves, so do we line up? As believers at Mount Carmel, the gathering of believers, do we line up with what this Word says about what we see in scripture about the church and so like so far and i'm not going to review just other than just to read it for you uh, so far we've gotten through six characteristics worship that the church exists for god's glory god's word that the church listens to and obeys god's word prayer that the church learns god's heart and asks for what god wants biblical community that the church does life together with jesus at the center evangelism that the church lovingly proclaims the truth of jesus with the prayerful hope that God will complete his work of salvation. In the last two weeks, we've been on ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. The church demonstrates, rehearses, and celebrates the person and the work of Christ through the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, now baptism is all about the death and burial, but with a new birth. And even the Lord's Supper is all about death, but we know Jesus didn't die. He rose from the grave so he could offer new life to us. So now what does a biblical church do after someone is evangelized? They hear the truth of Jesus and then baptized where they proclaim, we believe the truth of Jesus. What's next for a biblical 
church. We find that in Matthew 28 in Jesus's words. We call it the Great Commission. And let me just read it to you. It says, and Jesus came and said to them, these are to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What comes after a new birth? Maturity. Spiritual growth. And how does that happen? Through one word, and it's what we'll spend time on for this week and next week, and that's discipleship. Discipleship. Remember hearing a pastor say once, I'm 100% for evangelism, but we have to be careful because if all we do is win someone to the Lord or lead someone to the Lord or explain who Jesus is to someone without an intent to help them grow in discipleship, then really what we're doing is we're going door to door, leaving babies on doorsteps to fend for themselves. Remember how powerful that was to me because I was living in a culture that was very much about making converts, but not about making disciples. But, but we don't leave our physical children to fend for ourselves. Why would God leave his spiritual children to fend for themselves? And he doesn't. He gives his spiritual children, those who have new birth, he gives them the church. And the church is to care for, to love, and to help spiritually grow those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. And we call that, well, Jesus calls that making disciples. And so I know you may ask, and it's a great question, well, what is a disciple? And, and the simple answer for a disciple is a disciple is a follower. That's the simple answer. But if we were to look at the ministry of Jesus, who's the one closing this out, his ministry by saying make disciples, Jesus had many followers. I mean, he had multitudes of people go wherever he goes. But if I were to ask you, how many disciples did Jesus have? What would you answer? 12, right? Say 12. I mean, that's kind of what we see in children's books. But if a, if a disciple is a, is a follower, then why don't we say Jesus had multitudes of disciples? Because Jesus's words, when he looked at these men and said, follow me, was a call to do more than just go where he went, but it was a call to leave behind who you are so that you can become who I am. See, Peter, and Jesus called Peter and James and John. And what were Peter, James, and John? They were fishermen. But when he called them to follow him, what did they do? They left behind their nets and their boat and even their father to follow Jesus. And he said, I'm going to change who you are. No longer will you be fishers of fish. You will be fishers of men. We see Jesus when he says simply to Matthew, who is a tax collector, follow me. Two simple words, follow me. And Matthew left behind his, his table, his, his quill pen, his, his scroll. He left everything behind to simply follow Jesus. And the call of Jesus to disciples to follow him meant follow my steps, my way of life. Do as I do, teach as I teach, live as I live. Which gives us a very important foundational lesson for the word discipleship. 
Becoming a disciple of Jesus does not begin with what we do. Discipleship begins with what Jesus has done. I'm not asking you to be a disciple of me. It's not about what you do or what I do. It all starts with what did Jesus do? Well, what did Jesus do? Well, we know he did miracles. Like he did the feeding of the 5,000. He walked on water. He, he healed. He raised people from the dead. Miraculous events in his life, like, like when he was baptized and the Father spoke and the Holy Spirit ascended, or, or when he uh, defeated Satan, over he overcame temptation from Satan, or, or even when his body shone on the Mount of Transfiguration as his glory was shown. Like we see things like that. And we even know the, the, the last events of his earthly life where he spent the Last Supper with his disciples, teaching them. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he prayed to the Father, oh, John 17, that prayer, oh. We see his crucifixion, his burial, and then his, his resurrection and ascension. And, but really, ultimately, ev everything that Jesus did in his 33 years on this earth was, was about the glory of God. Jesus surrendered his will to the Father's will because he loved the Father so much and wanted his Father to be glorified. And that is his call to disciples today. Not just follow me and show up at church. Not just follow me and sing to me, but leave behind who you are. Surrender who you are. Come, follow the Father because you love him and you desire for the Father to be glorified. But again, let me go back. It's not about what you and I do. In fact, the greatest call of being a disciple of Jesus is not that we get to work for Jesus, although that's really cool, but that we get to be with him. After Jesus calls his disciples in Mark chapter 3, I just want to show you this, this, this neat little passage. It says, and he, meaning Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those who he, whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles. Now, you might say, well, I thought they were the disciples. Oh, the word apostle means sent one. Jesus called disciples to follow him, and then he had 12 apostles to send out. And what did these apostles do? It says so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And you think, man, how cool. Those disciples, they got the preach the gospel and cast out demons but we can't miss what it says they did first so that they might be with him the call of being a disciple of christ is not in what we do for him it's in that we get to be with him but I will tell you this straight up front because Jesus does. Being with him, trying to follow him, it's not easy. In fact, Jesus would regularly tell his disciples, those he called to follow, those he called to be with him, he would regularly tell them how difficult it would be for them. And, and, and it was saved for us to know as we try to follow Christ. This is what he says in Mark chapter 8. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, here we go, let him deny himself, that's no fun, 
Take up his cross? You mean I got to die? And follow me. I don't get set my own course. In Luke chapter 9, there was a group of people, and it actually goes on to the end of the chapter, but three different people said, I'll follow you, I'll follow you, I'll follow you, and Jesus each time responded with, let me tell you why you won't. He said, foxes have holes. Even the birds of the airs, even the birds of the air can have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In John 15, he basically tells his disciples, this is right before he's going to, to die, he's going to say, if the world hates you, it's already hated me. He says in, in Matthew chapter number 5, this part of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account. Like that's, not what, well, that's not what we think when we think of following Jesus. We, we think of the blessings that we receive. And, and I'm not trying to minimize that, that God blesses us, but, but let's be honest. There's very few material blessings we are promised for following Jesus. The prosperity gospel will tell you the opposite. Oh, you'll get lots of blessings. No, the blessings that we receive from Jesus is his presence is him he is the blessing following jesus is not easy that's why a lot of people don't do it the question then is like if it's so hard why why would i and just just briefly you remember hearing and maybe you were in history classes when you were in, in school hearing about people who made a trek across our nation around 1859 and they, they wanted to leave. Though they, they, they left everything on one place and they, they loaded it up on horses or carriages or some sold everything in order just to try to get to the other side of our country so that they could be over on the West Coast. And what were they going after? Gold. Treasure. You know, people do a lot of things that we think crazy when they think they're going after something valuable. People do it today all the time. Professionals, they will sacrifice their families sometimes. They will sacrifice relationships and friendships. They will sacrifice their health. They will sacrifice their own reputation in order to go after something so valuable to them like a career and a salary. But you know what's weird? We don't kind of sit back and go, oh, that's stupid. We all kind of, in our own way, we kind of get that. We, we watch the, the sacrifices that athletes make in order to go after what they're trying to achieve because they think, if I can get that gold medal, if I can get that championship trophy, and we watch it happen. And to be honest, again, we sit back and go, I kind of understand it. That's what they're going after. But, but take someone who goes to church every single Sunday, gives 10% of their income to the kingdom work, spends their own money to go halfway across the world for the cause of gospel missions. And people look at that and go, you're stupid. Why would you do something? Why, why, why not build a bigger house? Why not get a nicer car? Why, why not go after things that will make your life better? And I'll tell you, if someone would ask me why I follow Jesus. Why did you follow Jesus from right outside Chicago, all the way to Page County, Virginia. Why leave your family? Why leave everything that you have? And I would tell people, 
often people who I loved that I spent 41 years of my life with, with the question, why are you leaving? And I said, I'm not leaving anything. I am following Jesus. Why? Because he is the greatest treasure anyone will ever uncover. But do we really believe that? How often do we sacrifice following Jesus in order to do what we want, choose what we want, have what we want, live the way that, that we desire? But, but man, I, I have found that Jesus is my greatest treasure. And I'll tell you one reason why. Because he made me his greatest treasure. Can you imagine what Jesus, I don't have the time to go into it, but can you imagine what Jesus did? Leaving heaven? leaving the presence of his father to walk the dusty streets of this earth to 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 grow up and to to be called a demon to, to be called everything that was against who he truly was and to be hated and spat upon and and beaten and eventually nailed to a cross all of that he did that because he treasured you more than anything he, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, he who was rich became poor for our sakes, that we who were poor that in his poverty might become rich. That's why Jesus needs to be our greatest treasure. And I'm sorry I took so much time on that because really the sermon wasn't supposed to be about being a disciple. Because as, as much as, as, as important as it is, we're actually never told to be a disciple. The, commission, the great commission of Jesus actually says to make disciples. So why would Jesus never tell us to be his disciple? Why only say make disciples? And if you're a teacher, if you've ever been a teacher of any sort, whether a parent or, a, or working with, with children or even adults, this will really make sense to you. Who learns more, the teacher or the student? Interestingly enough, Jesus never says, be my disciple. He says, make disciples because we learn and grow most when we are helping others learn and grow. And so Jesus knew it was, that was in the act of making disciples that followers of Jesus actually grow in being disciples. As a wrestling coach for many, many years, what I loved is that we spanned from 12th grade all the way down to 6th grade in our wrestling room. And the best thing was I would take my high school wrestlers and say, you go help the middle schoolers. And here's what would inevitably happen if those high school boys did not know how to teach a move to those junior high boys. It would always happen. They would wait after practice and say, hey, coach, will you go over that with me? They've been in wrestling for four years, never one time stayed after practice to ask me, coach, will you go over that with me again? But now that they have been given the responsibility to teach someone else, it matters whether they're doing it right or not. Do you know that when you help others turn their eyes to Christ, you're already having to look there? Do you know that when you encourage others to read the word, you're going to have to be in the word if you're going to encourage someone else to do it? 
Do you know that when you encourage people to live in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, open to the leading of the Spirit, you have to consciously be aware, am I open to the leading of the Spirit? As you're teaching truth, guess what's going on in your mind over and over and over before you teach that truth? Truth. So Jesus calls his disciples to be with him, and then he says, go make disciples, because when you're with me, you'll learn who I am, and as you teach others, you'll learn even more who I am. Next Sunday, we'll be more practical about discipleship, but for the little time that I have left, I want to focus our attention on the, the what and the why. Because you could ask 50 different people, what does discipleship mean? I'm just going to take one, one definition that I appreciate. His name is Mark Dev, Pastor Mark Dever, and this is what he said. Discipleship is helping others follow Jesus by doing deliberate spiritual good in their lives. Discipleship is helping others follow Jesus by doing deliberate spiritual good in their lives. And he, he expanded on what he meant by spiritual good as the words initiating, teaching, correcting, modeling, loving, counseling, and influencing. And basically, you could sum up a discipler's life by one word, others. But that, that's no surprise, right? The great commandment is love God and then what? Love your neighbor. And so as we talk about discipleship, spiritual growth, the truth is we as a church need to be investing in others so that they grow together. But we'll never invest in others if we don't have a heart for others. And, and this is going to get a little bit, I, I, I want to tell you, I'm not trying to call anybody names here, okay? I just want to read or tell you what I read recently. One commentator, he, he began a chapter on discipleship, and he, he asked, have you ever watched the way pigs come to a trough at mealtime? And I'm like, I've never actually seen it. I don't think I've ever seen it, actually. Uh, I have watched a bunch of teenagers get pizza, uh, so that's probably pretty close, right? Uh, but he, he, said, he said, you could describe it why they push and they shove and they snort and they swallow without any thought for each other. Like, that makes sense. And then the next paragraph, it was just one, one line with a question. Is that how you attended church last Sunday? And I didn't understand what he meant by that. Like, I'm not, what? Pig? And he went on the next paragraph, and this is what he wrote. When you parked your car, did you park as close as possible so you wouldn't have to walk far? Or did you think of others? When you chose a seat, did you sit where you would feel comfortable? Or were you thinking of others? When you chose who to speak to at church, did you only look for friends? Or did you seek someone out who appeared lonely and needed a friend? And I'll be honest with you. That shot my heart. Do I walk in that back door thinking, where can I sit to make it better for someone else? Or do I think, where do I want to sit? When I pull into the parking lot, do I think, well, where can I park so it's, it's more convenient for someone else? Or do I park where, where I want? After church, when, when we dismiss, do, do I look for people I know that I know will, will be an encouragement to me or that I want to just chat with? Or do I look for somebody that I know is, is discouraged? And, and forgive me for pointing you out, but, you know, Stevie lost his grandmother this week and Robbie lost his grandmother this weekend. Am I making a, a point to, to look for someone 
to love on them. That's the life Jesus lived. I just run through a couple of verses here, but, but Jesus would see, have compassion. See and have compassion. Pity, he moved. Jesus worked as, he, as Jesus moved. He would work in someone's life as he would see them and have compassion on them. And, and I think sometimes we make, we make the word discipleship either way too easy. Like discipleship is nothing more than buying someone's meal at McDonald's, which no, that, that's not true. But we also make discipleship too complicated by saying something like, well, it, it's got to be this really big program that, that uh, is all about organization and, and, and formal, formally learning what justification and sanctification and glorification mean. <laughs> no, no, that's not what discipleship is. I mean, at the core of discipleship is having a heart for God and having a heart for others and wanting others have a heart for God. It's, it's, it's really what discipleship is all about. And, and there are times, and, and, and sometimes in our church, it's, it's so cool. I mean, Pastor Mike, uh, a, couple of, a couple of, probably now, maybe a month and a half ago, he, he met me in the hallway, and he just, he said, Pastor Brian, I just want, just want to share this with you. So he's holding an alms request of somebody that he had just met with, and and people come to the church all, all the time asking for financial help, and we want to help them, and, but we, we're also careful with how we do it. There's a process for people to go through because it's, it's your money that you're giving to God's work, and so we, we want to protect it. But this lady walked in, and, and there was no pastor to meet with, and that's part of the process. And so she was really concerned she wouldn't have a night to meet and a, a night to stay in the hotel. And, and Pastor Mike was telling me this story, and he said, after he talked to her, come to find out that, uh, that one of our, our members, Andy Cavanis, um, this lady had already gone to him with his need and, and of his own accord he, he paid a couple nights at a hotel for her and then that, that ran out so she came to the church looking for help and came into the church there was no one there except for Erica Nichols and Erica works in our office and, and because there was no pastor to meet and the process couldn't get started Erica called the hotel and on her own debit card paid for a night for this woman to stay at a hotel He's telling me that, and I'm so humble. What, what, a, what a church. What a group of people that, that have a heart for others. And, and we could go on and on. That's just one, that was just one small example. We could just go on and on about that. But, but I have this question. Is discipleship just a one-time action? If you go back to some of those verses we read where Jesus said that he had compassion, his move or his action of compassion was to feed the multitudes. Question, was Jesus feeding the multitudes discipleship? What, would, what do you think? I believe Jesus feeding the, the multitudes was an act of discipleship not to the multitudes, but to the disciples. Those 12 men that continued to go with him would watch as his heart was moved and he would act with compassion and he would care for people and he wasn't trying to change the multitudes but in the act of caring for the multitudes he was changing those who were with him which then Matt begs me to ask the question, when you care for people, who's with you? 
And I don't mean you're doing it for a show. I mean, who is helping you care for people so that they can understand and learn more about the Jesus that moved your heart to care for others? And Jesus, we begin to see it, right? Because Paul and, or, I'm sorry, John and, John and Peter in Acts chapter 3 walk into a temple. There's a man sitting there. He says, ah, help me. And they said, Silver and gold we don't have. What we do have, we'll give you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. <laughs> so these men are helping a beggar. I wonder where they got that from. These men who at one time told children that they couldn't come to Jesus are now reaching out and their lives are being changed. Their lives, lives were being changed. I know I've got to close, but let me just, let me read through Colossians chapter one with you because in Colossians chapter one, there's a couple of verses here. And the last two verses stand out. We're going to read verses 24 through 29 in Colossians chapter 1. And the reason I want to read this is because I believe the last two verses of this, verses 28 and 29, explain the what and the why of discipleship. What discipleship is, why we do it. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, the Bible says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. This is the Apostle Paul summarizing his ministry. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Verse 27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now here we get to the what and the why. Him we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom and here's the why, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Did you catch the what and the why? The what of discipleship? To proclaim Christ. The why? To present mature Christians. And Paul gets it. It's toil. It's hard work. And we don't always see the fruit of, the, of our labor right now, but there will be a day, and it may not be in my lifetime, but there will be a day where as I proclaim Christ, people we, will be presented to Jesus as mature believers. And so, so what, what does that mean for me? Number one, we just follow Jesus. Be a true follower of Jesus. Let go of whatever it is that you will not follow Jesus completely. Let go of who you are so that he can mold you into who he is. And, and I know there's some people, and I hope this makes sense, there's some people who would say, like, I'll be a believer in Jesus. I'm not going to be a disciple of Jesus. Like, I'm content to just believe. That way I know I'll go to heaven one day. Like, again, I'm going to go back to something Pastor Mark Dever said. To be human is to be a disciple. God did not present Adam and Eve with a choice between discipleship and independence, but between following him and following Satan. 
We cannot say, I'll be a believer in Jesus, not a disciple of Jesus. I just want to be a believer. You're going to be a disciple of someone. The question is, who? Who's transforming you more to their image? So we follow Jesus. Be with Jesus. Do more than just, just copy the works of Jesus. Be with him so you can capture the heart of Jesus. It's, it's, in, it's in being with Jesus that you learn of him. And we do that through the word. We do that through prayer. We do that through fellowship with others who remind us of Christ. It's, it's so interesting. Paul says in Acts verse, chapter 16, verse 3, he said Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. Paul just wanted Timothy to be with him and later paul would tell timothy what you have heard from me and trust to other faithful men who will be able to teach others also jesus paul timothy faithful men others by being with someone live like jesus the pattern that somebody shared with me recently was really cool it was just live a life that draws people to you because you live like Christ. And as people are drawn to you, teach them Christ. And as they hear of Christ, their life would be transformed into a life that people would want to be with. Live, or life, truth, life. Your life, share the truth, affects someone else's life. Who can share the truth to affect someone's life? And finally, look for Jesus. We can't claim to be disciples unless we're discipling. And it may seem like a futile effort at times because people are fickle. We all are. We're all fickle. We start on the journey and we quit. We start a little, take a few steps and we stop. It's not about changing your life. It's about living for him. Serving him. Living for his glory. Knowing I'm doing what I'm doing and investing in others in this church who... We don't want a bunch of baby Christians running around the church. We need to become new. We need to become mature believers. We want baby Christians because you have grown mature and people are attracted to the same Christ that you are living. But ultimately, we have to look for Jesus. What was that last song that we sang? Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. That's the day we're looking for because you're going to be disappointed as you disciple. You're going to be disappointed in yourself as you try to disciple. We keep our eyes on the one who's never disappointed us yet. So in closing, think of someone that needs Jesus. How can you proclaim the truth of Jesus to them this week? How can you live out? How can you live out the truth of Jesus in a purposeful way to intentionally do spiritual good for the purpose of showing Christ in others? Would you think of someone? Would you pray with me right now? Would you pray? that God would give you an opportunity this week, these next seven days to speak into their life 
to show into their life? Salvation is not your job, proclaiming Christ. Salvation is God's work. But how can you live out who Jesus is because you've been with him and you can show him to those that you have a relationship with? Would you pray right now? God, give me a chance. Open up a door. Give me an opportunity. Give me boldness to speak. Give me compassion to move and to love. Give me a heart for you because you love them and I want to love them as you love them. Give me a chance to do spiritual good in the hearts of others so that they will follow Jesus one day. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, there might even be somebody here today who you don't follow Jesus at all. Like, we're talking about discipling someone else and you would say, I, I don't even know Christ. And boy, if that's you, man, does Jesus want you to know him? He wants you to be with him. He wants you to be with him, not just now, but for eternity. That's why he came to this earth and lived a perfect life. And he died for your sins so that, so that he could pay the penalty so you would have a way to the Father. Simply looking to him as your savior and surrendering to him as your Lord. Ha, you get to be a follower of Jesus. Church families, are, is there somebody that, that you're thinking of even within the church that maybe the Lord has placed them on your heart to, to reach out to them and just try to see if you could be a blessing? Who is it that you can do spiritual, intentional spiritual good this week so that someone will follow Jesus in a greater way. Some of you may, be, may say, I, I am a, I'm an immature Christian. I, I need someone. Boy, if you'd let us know, ah, it'd be awesome to be able to walk together with you. That's why you were given, as Ephesians 4 started, those apostles, those prophets, those pastors and shepherds, teachers, to help you. Father, I pray that we would grow into the mature manhood of, of a believer that you desire, that we as a church would have a heart for you, the same heart that you have for others. And Lord, that we could be those who do spiritual good in the lives of others so that they would follow Jesus in a greater way. We love you knowing our love is only a response to your great love first. Thank you for who you are and for what you have done. In your name we pray. Amen.